The amazing drama you're about to see is a matter of human record. You may believe it or not, but the real people who lived this story, they believe it. Hello and welcome to The Week of Work. Today, myself and Orby are looking at Naomi Klein's latest book, Doppelganger which looks at the rise of the far right and their use of social media and their ongoing strategy of faking concern about certain issues in order to gain support. Klein is quite critical of left-wing groups and organisations and in the pod you can hear me somewhat trying to defend the left, um, which is something which I probably would roll back on <laughs> given the way that the left-wing parties have been completely outplayed in terms of supporting a neoliberal uh, care amendment being inserted into the constitution. The far right have seized upon this and are putting themselves forward as the defenders of people with uh, disabilities and carers, which is quite frankly disgusting. But they've been allowed to take that space in ways that are similar to what Klein outlines in our book. So in that regard, Naomi's book is is quite relevant and, and I think Aubrey makes some great points about why even though it's based in the states, it does has it does have a resonance with what's happening in Ireland today. We recorded this a couple of weeks back in Orby's home, and if you listen in, you can sometimes hear his cats playing in the background. So yeah, uh, so sit back, and I hope you enjoy our little chat. So we're going to talk about Naomi Klein and doppelganger. I found when I read it, it was like, um, well, it was it was self help to start with. It was basically bringing a lot of disparate things that were concerning me together. It was making a lot of connections between a lot of things I was spotting and concerned about and wasn't able to piece together in any satisfactory way. Um, so you have the rise of conspiracy theories, far right, kind of individualistic branding, kind of online social media presence, you know, essentially how phones are making people stupider, mm. that kind of world um, with the kind of real world political change and the new political um, collaborations we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, it's called a doppelganger and that's the conceit that she uses in the yes. book is that um, uh, she says that, um, which, which does happen, I've done it in myself as well, where she, she, she talks about the, the, the theme of the book, or the plot of the book, is that um, she constantly gets mixed up with a Naomi Wolf. Mm. And, she <laughs> and, and she talks about how this is, it started off as a funny thing, but now as, as Wolf went more and more to the right wing, and it's gone now just far right, uh, this is a big kind of a concern for her. But she's using that really as a platform to, to talk about the rise of the internet far right and how they've taken on a kind of corporeal form. She talks about this about when the January 6th uh, riot uprising, I don't see it as an uprising, it's a riot um, in, in Washington in like 2020. Um, that's where these kind of online internet uh, personalities became real. With their cosplay kind of furs and it's and a face paint. It's a really good way that she says that it's, it's these people who were kind of cosplaying, but now they're real. And she says, well, you know. With real world consequences, suddenly they're getting arrested and the FBI is knocking <laughs> in their door. 
<laughs> they are, and they're white, and they're not expecting this because they're white, and, and the white privilege is just, it's, it's unbelievable, just how negative it is. But um, being, like, being kind of Klein, she then brings this to a structural thing. Yeah. So then she says that, well, you know, we, we could talk about this as, as, you know, as an internet uh, social media thing, but there's something structural that, uh, that's going on here. Yeah. And then that's our whole kind of thing. So that's the, that's the premise of the book, is that yeah. um, I get confused with Naomi Wolf. Ha, ha, ha. But then she does this. And, her, and the main, if there's a... If there's a... A dark kind of character who runs true role, it's Steve Bannon. Yeah. And Steve Bannon is the nemesis. He's the... He's the point of the book. So you have all that, but you also have, which I found almost equally satisfying, her, her... She's writing from a position of having lost her mojo completely. COVID really wrecked her um, in terms of... You know, she, she lost her ability to, to write um, because... I think, like many people, it was kind of this um, very disjointing period of time where you're locked down and all your kind of connectivity with your world and your activism and everything else kind of fell down. So at the same time that that was happening to her, she was seeing the rise of this doppelganger. But she describes her own um, failings to, to write and to see clearly very well. And, and I find that Unlike her earlier books, I find her writing a little bit more honest and straight. And I think that really drew me in as well, that it's, it's not just a kind of a, here's some clever theorizing about what I'm seeing in the world, like she did with uh, No Logo and um, the, the one about disaster capitalism. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, she, she says at, at, at one point that um, not that her books were naive, but, but she was. Mm. And, she, and she talks about how, how she was somewhat kind of naive in, 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 in thinking that um, if I point out where these errors are, then that will help people then change. Yeah. And now she's moved into, um, um, it's, not, it's not quite Marxist yet, she, she isn't kind of quite there. Although it, it, it is interesting, I think she, she's a lot more radical than she's shown here. She doesn't really show all her cards. No, no, she doesn't. And I think that's down to the fact that she knows that she's, you know, she's a popular writer. Yeah. It's her living. So yeah. she's, it's a balancing act yeah. that's going on here. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, I mean, I, I find that she's very self-critical and then critical of um, progressives mm. uh, in, in, in various ways. And I think that that's some of the best stuff in her book yeah. is how she attacks the kind of the failure of the left that, to... Um, maintain pro, um, protest um, around big tech and around COVID and around that the, you know the left ceded ground consistently to conspiracy theories. And so when the so-called mirror world, when Steve Bannon's world, were calling, you know, were calling out big tech or big pharma um, or you know issues around lockdowns um, or vaccines, then the liberals and the left would just kind of say nothing they were kind of like you know we're not gonna you know that's that's your criticism now we're gonna we're gonna be quiet on it it's very much based on the u.s kind of experience on the canadian kind of experience and she compares and and contrasts them there but she's not making she does make some kind of universal statements but it's but it is but they are valid in that it is linked with how these are being transported through 
trick on social media. Yeah. It's just true. It is, yeah. I mean, it's happening. Yeah, and it, it's, it's giving a much better analysis and framework of how this is happening that allows for us to decide which bits of this fit an Irish model. It's, I mean, before reading this, the, the kind of common parlance was there's the culture wars, which I found really unsatisfying in terms of how, why it was happening and why it was being so successful. You know, that there just wasn't, for me, there wasn't sufficient, I mean, I can understand the principles of, of culture war, um, but it doesn't, I guess, it doesn't explain this explosion post-COVID. And I think that she really, ta really taps into you know, COVID happened and then the, the influencers who were, you know, heavily about marketing and branding and, you know, pushing kind of in individualistic um, kind of libertarian right-wing notions, but not kind of radical and crazy necessarily, some of them suddenly went really far down a rabbit hole post-COVID. And then the more they did that, the more the more likes and hits and links and, and traffic was being driven to what they were doing and the more they became relevant. Like Naomi Wolf, suddenly Naomi Wolf is, you know, she, Naomi Klein just, you know, describes how she was kind of falling apart. 2019, she had a book pulped because famously on air, um, she was basically told that the, her central thesis was completely the opposite of what she thought it was. Um, and so, you know, she had a horrible fall from, from Grace and the Guardian and the New York Times dropped her and then suddenly she had to find a new community and she found one wholesale that needed her. And then COVID comes along and she's able to kind of double down on all the kind of stuff that we were seeing before with her potentially, um, just around, you know, that COVID vaccine, vaccine passports are kind of fascism and that the vaccines themselves were you know, so all these kind of seemingly crazy sounding COVID conspiracies elevated her dramatically and suddenly she became a huge culture figure, um, a hugely influential figure. Um, so the, the idea that something happened during COVID which allowed uh, conspiracy theories, it just weaponized conspiracy theories in a way and it also transformed the political dimensions from a left-right thing to something else. There's a kind of diagonalism that she explains. I think all that's really potentially interesting in terms of discussion about Irish mm. politics yeah. now. And, you know, and, and, um, and also, you know, she does make the point that um, although this, this may have the impression of being organic, there's a puppet master here yeah. and, and it's Steve Bannon. Yeah. And um, it's not that he's, he, he's, he, he's controlling everything, like she's not putting him forward as a right-wing George Soros, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know she, she's not kind of making that, you know, that type of kind of, uh, tried kind of argument. But saying that there is, there's, um, there's, a, there's money here, there's a strategy here, and it's tied to the Trump campaign, yeah. which gives it more kind of impetus. But it is... It is making arguments about how how the right how the far right needs to reassert itself. Uh, they're having huge success in the U.S. and and the right wing in, in Europe is is no doubt looking at this and going, well, is there are there strategies and and tactics we can use here? And that's where the that's one of the bleed overs. We also know that, that Steve Bannon was directly involved in Maloney's in, in Italy. 
we, there's been a few examples. Oh, was he? Yeah, okay, yeah. Steve Bannon right. was, a, and and he was he was a presence during Brexit. He's been around in a few different instances. I have no doubt that there's been a link between him and um, um, Wilders in uh, Holland. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, there are, it, it's not just that people are learning from America. Steve Bannon is, is, is looking internationally in his hmm. um, approach. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, like he calls, like, you know, he would, he's not, I mean, he's not left wing, but he's like he, but but he's a Leninist. I mean, and mm. you know, and he says this himself, and you can see it in it. You know, this is all about strategy. This is all about how do you pr probe for weakness constantly, yeah. bide your time, and then concentrate all your forces the on that weakness. His strategizing is one of the most interesting parts, mm. where he's, you know, this kind of mirror world politics, where you're, he's. She describes it like the 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 one way glass. So like in a doctor's room where there's people behind watching. So he's watching everyone through the glass, but no one's watching him from the left. So he's watching for all the weaknesses. And she makes a really good argument for it. So that not only are we talking about like where they've seeded on um, big pharma, big tech, um, certainly everything around lockdown and COVID and, um, and just also how, you know, all these issues around, you know, so for unionized workers in America, Steve Bannon was able to jump into territory that the left was ceding, and that brought electoral success for Trump. The, but it's also spotting how progressives on the left act in terms of being, um, I mean, he, she gives a whole, a whole series of kind of con compare and contrasts you know, so that they would, you know, where the left was intolerant, they'd be acceptable, accepting, you know, where there's ex, you know, exclusion amongst the left, you know, he, his whole thing with his war room uh, would be that, you know, we're all sides, we're bringing in all sides, and we, so we're bringing in Naomi Wolf, who was a former feminist, and, you know, they're all welcome, and everyone's welcome, and we love our, our listeners, and we're actually, we're not this intolerant left. So it's kind of a mirroring game, which is very tactical. Uh, but it's successful. Why do I come to groups like this? Why do I, sp I only speak to mainstream media? I don't go on Fox. I don't go on right-wing media. Why? Because for our movement to be successful, we must take 25% of the Bernie guys, the economic nationalists, a third to 40% of African-American working class and middle class, and a third to 40% of Hispanic working class and middle class, and Asian middle class and working class. When we unite that, and we will unite it in the United States, because it's my life's work, we will have a political realignment like 1932, and we will govern the country for working men and women in our country, not for the elites in Wall Street, not for the elites in corporate America, and not for the party of Davos. I love that bit where she's explaining how people get become completely unmoored when they don't have a kind of a, a joined up analytical framework to fall back on so the, you know if you if you but believe in her, you know? yeah but if you, yeah if you believe if you believe in this hyper individualistic kind of like I'm a self-made person I'm my body my temple yeah. you're like and you just you are you know an entrepreneur who, who has whose ideas are you know shaping the world you know suddenly you get really bad luck or a, a disaster happens mm. you know you fall down of course you're gonna turn around and see a conspiracy a cabal of, of of elites who are stopping, you know, you, you're going to see your whole frameworks worked based upon individual actors working against you in society rather than some collective social 
and I think she, she nails that very well. I just want to, like, what you're talking about, the, the, how the, the new diagonalism, I, there's a great quote of just who, who the different forces are coming together. So you have the traditional right, the QAnon conspiratorial hard right, the alternative health subcultures, usually associated with the green left, a smattering of neo-Nazis, parents, mainly white mothers, angry about a range of things happening and not happening in schools, for instance, masks, jabs, all-gender bathrooms, anti-racist books, Small business owners enraged by the often devastating impacts of COVID controls and their bottom lines. I mean, that mix we're seeing in Ireland. Yeah, it's yeah. an incredibly, like, it's a very potent mix. You know, when I sit down and talk to others about the year ahead in terms of the local European elections and maybe, the na you know, the national elections, there's a great fear that people are not seeing the new uh, collaborations and how voting patterns have shifted post-COVID. And I think she's really nailing how that where this, you know, where there's weird bedfellows. But a really important point and a point she making, she's making in the book is those alliances were building during COVID when everyone, when the kind of, you know, the centre and the centre left, you know, people were bedding down and protecting each other and going, these measures are important, these public health measures are important. And, and yes, there were, there were a lot of things to criticise, lockdowns, um, the vaccine, the, the, the big pharma making huge profits of vaccines that were only going to help Western countries and not have, you know, you know, not being shared equitably around the world. There was, there was lots of things to criticise, but there was a kind of a more of a let's bed down and let the health professionals get on with their job and, and protest ceased. But, but I think that's where like her book and her argument kind of really kind of comes true because she yeah. says then at the end is that this has been a failure of the social democratic left or the hard left, um, of the left in, 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 in general. But what she talks about is that it's been that failure to see this, uh, to see these issues as truly systemic. There's about kind of mm. two or three uh, places where she just says that, you know, I have always believed that one of the core reasons uh, for the left to exist is to provide a structural analysis of wealth and power that it that brings order and rigor to the prevailing and correct and like correct sense that society is rigged against the majority and that important truths are being hidden pat uh, by political kind of rhetoric without a firm understanding of capitalism's drive to find new profit sources to enclose and extract many will imagine that there is a cabal of uniquely nefarious individuals pulling the strings mm. now that's like for me like like that's what like i'd want entire chapters on that yeah but yeah, that's yeah, yeah. she she says it and then she moves on because yeah. because again i'm not her audience yeah, yeah. i'm not the one mm. that needs convincing yeah right? no no it's it's but she just kind of put it there but on that point i think is is kind of really interesting and it's probably one of the few kind of criticisms i'd have of her kind of analysis. Earlier on, she says that um, if you look at this objectively, we can learn maybe from Steve Bannon because he is he has been kind of strategic. He is probing for a for weakness. I would slightly kind of disagree with that because Bannon doesn't want to change the system. No, he doesn't. No. Um, uh, like she doesn't use kind of these words, but she she says it. I can't find the actual quote now. Um, just, uh, but, oh yeah, um, 
she's saying here that um, it, it's entirely possible that Bannon and Wolf's war on reality is just what happens when so many of the big, big lies that built uh, the modern world visibly crumble. When I read that, I thought of that line that fascism is capitalism in decay. Mm. And what we're seeing here is fascism on the rise because capitalism is in decay. Yeah. There are parallels with the 1930s and they make sense. Um, that's why I don't think we can really learn much from Bannon. Bannon doesn't want to change the system. He's trying to prop it up. He wants it to go more on the right wing. Yeah. I, um, I, did, so she, did she really say that we could learn something from him? I mean, I, yeah. I, I, thought, I thought we should definitely be paying attention to him. Yeah. Um, and the fact that he says, action, 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 is something that she takes. Yeah, it's, but that's the line. She says, though I hesitate to suggest it, this is, a, this is a place where we could stand to learn a little from Steve Bannon, from his bloody-minded approach to strategy and building, winning a coalitions despite differences from his transformation of listeners and watchers into highly organized doers from his focus on action 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 where i would where where I would, where I would disagree with that point is that that's that for me is what blairism was so what did blairism do in the 1990s they tried to learn from from thatcherism but how we learned from it was we well, don't get into the systemic stuff mm -hmm. move into the um, into what Homer Simpson calls the tartar sauce, you know, just yeah, like, yeah. just gave them the, the, uh, these gifts. You can't. It's a lie to. It's a lie to try and build a coalition that is not based on structural change. Yeah, you you can make those links on the far right because the it's not it it, it doesn't want structural change. So you can't make shit up because all you want is to stop the Absolutely. flow happening. That's, that's the strength of the right. So you can't really, because the system itself mm. is, being, is being protected by the institutions of the state. Mm. These structures don't challenge them mm. from a right-wing perspective. So you can't really use those kind of strategies to build kind of winning, winning kind of coalitions. When it's been done, you end up with a type of social democratic um, mess that yes. Klein is like criticizing, uh, quite rightly, all the way, you know, all the way kind of through this book. Having said all that, I probably am being a bit kind of unfair because the overall thesis of our book is not this. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think, but I think that's a good. I think it's a. I think it's a good point. Um, like one of the great lines um, that she says about Naomi Wolf is that she gets the facts wrong but the feelings right. <laughs> I love that, and it just nails why conspiracy theories are so yeah are so valuable to mm. people because, I mean, and, and she goes into great detail about, and it's a really satisfying part of the book how how much ground, you know, is being seeded about big tech. And you know the control of your lives through, because when the right start talking about big tech, or the right start talking about big pharma, like that is, and you know, she points out all the different ways that you could actually have really strong uh, criticism of of big tech and surveillance, um, capitalism, and and her fear is that the ground has been ceded to the Steve Bannons even though they're just making shit up. 
It's a lot easier to say that migrants are the reason why there are queues for doctors and there's a housing crisis instead of making the argument, no, this is actually this is a 40 year kind of process because once you get into that, it's extremely difficult yeah. to make those kind of Absolutely. arguments. And this, and this is a real problem because how do, you, how do you make those arguments and say that, no, like if you look at kind of County Clare, and, and I mentioned that because, it'd be, be, because I did a report on Clare kind of last year. Um, but then in the County Clare, like they've got less doctors and nurses and, and home care workers than the, than the, than the, than the national kind of average. Look. That isn't down to migrants, that's down to policy over yeah. 20, 30, 40 years. But to, but to make those arguments, it's hard to make so those arguments. It's a really good point. Know. So you did a research piece which looked at Oh, like kind of the structural inequality, the the, the failure of resourcing over over a twenty year period. But yeah. also, I remember you saying to me at the time there was just a lack of of data collection on such key policy areas. Yeah, the state does not measure poverty in really it 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 it, it doesn't. You can't get stats on on poverty at a county level. They aren't they aren't really there. Yeah. So you, you you've got a poorly measured very deeply structural problems, a range of problems, mm. crossover problems. Yeah. But it's very hard to get into the meat of that yeah. and explain it and offer alternatives in that. Mm. But it's much easier to say, well, Ireland is full now. Yeah. Now, having said all that, I was able to get stuff because I won't be bad. Yeah. <laughs> you sure. know, so, and I did get kind of stuff around it. I didn't just kind of, I didn't just kind of give up, but, but it's extremely difficult. Yeah, so, so policy research, I was able to do that, but when it comes to, you know, topical discussions on mainstream radio or TV, yeah. that's... Like, like, I mean, I can't walk on to a, a TV show and make those arguments in like 30 seconds or in 15 seconds. I can't tweet the solutions. It, solutions are not... 280 characters in length. But Wigrand said the problem is. Yeah. So the other side of this book, or one of the other sides of it then, is the online platforms. The hyper-individualization, the, um, the influencer model that has been, I, I think that's a really important aspect of what she's writing about. So you, so you have this extremely simplified, simplistic conspiracy theory guff that is reaching people, mm. but it's reaching people at an extraordinary rate because of the algorithms, because of um, the tech and like the, I mean, looking now at the, the right-wing shit stain called X that used to be Twitter. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. Like it's complete, it's complete wasteland of pornography and conspiracy theory where at one stage it was a really interesting cross section of kind of analysis and humor and collectivity. So it's not just a situation where you have conspiracy theories raining down heavily and, and post COVID where there was a chance where, where kind of protests shifted to the right because you know, the, the centre ground was, was just bedding down and, and letting mm. science do its job or whatever. Um, but you have an almost intensification of the online platforms, the social media platforms, X, Meta and everything else, pushing you have. algorithms. 
on, on paper, one of the previous polls suggested that the whole country was lurching far right because everyone was criticising the government's handling on immigration issues. But when you say, are you concerned with the government's handling on immigration issues? I'd be concerned. I'd be concerned. Mm. Everyone's, because you're, what you're seeing is a, is a chaotic um, a lack of plan, you know, ham-fisted, seeding ground every time there's a far-right protest. So there's, everyone can be criticising, and when there's, when there's a mass criticism of a government policy, you know, you know, if the government looks like it's doing a really bad job with, with the economy, that becomes the centre focus, the economics. Now it's immigration, because that's where you know, the government is obviously in a bind. So yes, I think that that's kind of, it, it became a hot topic, and then obviously when, when you start to see that it's put Sinn Féin in the bind, that, that adds an extra layer for, for mainstream media to be looking at it. Mm. I mean, it, it is, it's a fascinating hot topic for a variety of reasons, and obviously in the, back, the, the backdrop to it is you have these arson attacks, and you have these um, entrepreneurial individuals who are pushing far-right agendas. So she talks about Red Vienna, and this is a topic that's used by um, ICTU, talk about Red Vienna as the solution to the housing crisis. Uh, Labour Party does this as cost well. Cost rental and all that. Cost rental, it's all kind of affordable. What they leave out of the Red Vienna uh, story is that that was the outcome out of intensive class struggle, in class war, which then led to one side for about 15 years coming into the ascendancy and putting forward um, a genuine social housing kind of model. Before fascism. Before fascism. Ripped it all up. Ripped it all up. <laughs> and sent kids to death camps. And so, yeah, you know, in the, in the European Second 30 Years War. But like, um, it's, it's the same with when you talk about the kind of Scandinavian model, which also came out of, which came out of stalemate in a class war. There was a class war stalemate. Both sides couldn't win over, couldn't beat the, the other side. So their, their solution was this kind of social partnership kind of model. But that didn't come down to some kind of agreement. It's because they, that, was the, that was the compromise because neither side could win. Neither side could lose, but neither side could win. But it came out of like class war. And Naomi Klein knows this. You can tell from her book that she knows this, but she leaves that bit out. It's going down. This is the, this is the, this is the un, uncomfortable truth here is that you can't avoid class struggle. You can't avoid class conflict. And that's, if you want to change kind of structural, these people don't play nice. And, and you are going to end up with some form of class conflict. Um, that's where social democrats are, are going to differ with Marxists or socialists, or well, with Marxists, who think that you can avoid class conflict. It's like that old kind of joke about the guy playing cricket and gets hit in his, in his private parts and just asks for the, for the pain to go but as well to be kept. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and what, the, and what kind of social democrats want is can you get rid of the pain but can you keep all the swelling? And, 
<laughs> I'm afraid that's not how this shit works. <laughs> you, can't, you can't avoid, you can't avoid that pain. If you want the swelling, I'm sorry, but like, um, I'll see if I leave that in. But like, uh, but but and like, she knows this now. If you take someone like, um, you know, some of the more uh, Catholic social teaching heads in ICTU or in International Trade Union Movement, they genuinely believe that you can have a conversation with with uh, with kind of O'Leary and people like that and actually work something out. You know, it's going. No, you can't. You can't. Like you, like you need to either bring them to a stalemate or win. Mm. But that's but that's what you have to do. You can't avoid that whole conflict. And that's and that's where if there's a if there's a place where her book might she is very consistent all the way through, and I really love that about it is that her logic she follows it through. Yeah. Even even when she brings up Israel and and Palestine. Yeah. And just calls and says I thought this that was is, a very good chapter. Brilliant! It's absolutely brilliant, and you know she's Jewish herself, but like, uh, but 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 like she just nails it completely. She doesn't. It's not a blind spot for us. It's the logical outpouring of of her own kind of political yeah. analysis. Called this is a a kind of colonial kind of project, and it's about the West having a foothold in the Middle East and fucking things up. And Israel is their is their country of choice. At, you know. At the moment, since the the sheriff uh, fell in like nineteen seventy nine, so like so she is consistent, but then she goes up to the class pain again of the class struggle of the class kind of conflict, and she doesn't name it. I, maybe that's down to just again I'm not the audience, mm. and uh, she maybe she knows that she can't quite bring your Blairite kind of people quite there yet. But yeah. that is the but, but that is that's the logical that is the logical kind of pouring of her of her argument is that mm. this is going to involve some kind of conflict it doesn't mean if it's physical but it doesn't mean that you're going to have some kind of conflict and conflict not just with the far right but with the institutions of the state itself mm. she knows where her arguments are leading to mm. and it means that you need some form of institute like there's no mention of like trade unions there's no mention of parties no per se it is no mention of of kind of of the type of um, non-party, non-trade union, institutional left formations that are needed. Mm. Uh, there's just no way, kind of. There's no way, kind of, around kind of these things. Um, but you need some form of expression for that. Um, she doesn't quite go there, but that must. Be, I'm guessing that 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 must be because she knows that her audience aren't quite there yet. Same as the right is is probing fucking a weakness, the left is trying to probe for strengths here. Mm. It's going, so, you know, how do we, how do we, how do we combat this and not lose people? I, in, I think Sinn Féin are also trying to do that, although some people might feel that they deserve a bit more kind of criticism, but, but I do think that they are trying to do the same thing as well. Mary Lou was definitely at that as well, you know, mm. where she's saying, um, you know, this is, this is wrong, but, um, and I think what's going on there is that, well, you know, how do we, we can't alienate people here, how do we bring them along? I think that's t totally understandable as a, as, a, as a policy decision, not to alienate people, not to, not to call mm. them deplorables for, for yeah. protesting. But I, is there, there's a perception that despite 
a lot of interlocking crises at the moment. There's very little protest around issues aside from Gaza. Is that a fair... Oh, that's, Gaza has just sucked up all the energy. No, uh, rightly so. But, rightly but, so, but... but, 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 but like, uh, now, now, having said that, uh, we're speaking on a Monday kind of... Uh, it's a Monday kind of morning, and uh, it's, it's the bank holiday, and there's, a, there's an anti-racist uh, protest in Dublin at like one o'clock today. That's right, because there's, so there's a rate, there's a, there's a um, anti-immigration demo, and mm. there's a counter-demo mm. in town. Um, but in terms of, you know, housing protests, and I mean, is no, it, this, this anti-immigration protest seems to have sucked all the sucked all the protest from housing to immigration. Is that a fair point? Where you have here's an issue of like the, a lack of a lack of housing and a lack of equity around housing that suddenly became there's too many people coming in and taking the housing. I, I, I don't, like, again, this is just from the outside, uh, just from the outside, outside kind of looking in. I don't know what's happening in terms of the meetings of the groups and people who organise kind of these things, but my outside kind of perception it, it would be is that all energy since October has been on organising Gaza. Yeah. And, uh, and people are just exhausted trying to you know, get their out and at the same, like getting 100,000 people onto the streets of, 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 of Dublin, it's not mean feat. Well, I was at the, I was yeah. at the most recent Gaza protest. It was extraordinary. It was I mean, it was absolutely huge, huge and yeah. it was really organic and there were so many different groups there. Um, so maybe the, the sense is as well that, as well as it being a very important focal issue, it is also getting groups back together collaborating, working alongside together, building the networks. It could, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, like, you know, these are kind of network, I mean, you know, these are kind of coalitions that are kind of being built here. Whether they kind of translate, because again, Gaza is is not something that gets into that that structural issue there between social democratic uh, views. We, we see problems as being kind of managerial, so you change kind of managers. And those who are more constructive will say no, things because of systemic change. Both sides can agree on Gaza, you know. So whether that kind of translates outside of that is hard to know. Um, they're going to break me. Like cats, out of the way. Cats, go. Cats. Cats. Cats be catting. So I think that it's probably, it's hard to know and if and when. God, it has to end kind of someday. But, but like when kind of if and when there's a two-month kind of pause. It has to end someday. It has to end kind of someday. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just frightening. But, like, um, but it, it's, it's hard to know until, until Gaza is off the, you know, is, is, is off the streets, you know, because it's just taken up. And rightly so, because, like, it's, a, it's I mean, this is, this is genocide in their time, you know. Yeah. Um, so, it's, um, so until that happens, it's then hard to know. You could make the argument that that the far right don't care about Gaza, so they're able to make hay at the moment. Yeah. For that, you know, I still think that there being a this isn't here, but just in terms of media, I do think that it might be a bit overblown. The like support. Oh, for the the anti-immigration. Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I I I think so. I mean, I think I think it's. My reading of it is it's a, it's one government blunder after another, and it it's mm. it's a 
it's a structural failure over many years. There's lots of reasons for different groupings to criticise, mm. but it doesn't mean that everyone's bought into the Ireland is full notion. Yeah. I think I think it has definitely organically spread. I think people's it has played into people's fears and notions, and it's definitely a sentiment in every town in the yeah. country. And I think you know possibly even a third of people might feel it. Yeah. I, I don't think that's that's an that's a crazy idea that a third mm. of people might feel that there's been you know, government haven't been listening to people in small towns for years, they haven't been listening to, to rural Ireland, you know. Yeah. And that's easy to to make hay with politically. Um, but, again, just thinking with the hat on of this book, where are the voices to counter those? Yeah. So you have the conspiratorial far right, you have the rural independence with their kind of mainstreaming of far right yeah. rhetoric in the doll. You have the media who's kind of pushing this agenda because it's a hot topic, but it's also it's a counter to Sinn Féin. Mm. And as you were saying, you've got you've got a couple of people, people for profit voices as counter. And that's kind of more what you're seeing. But I mean, I, I am noticing some of the voices who are coming on mainstream, some of the, you know, old, old Fianna Fáil voices or whatever who are, you know, str- having strong principal positions, but they're not... Str- their positions of holding the centre. I mean, the, one of the problems here is that the the government policy of having a fair, ordered, rules-based approach to immigration and taking in of 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 both of, of people fleeing war, if, whether it's Ukrainian or international protection applicants, that became that became the the thing that liberals were protecting. So all protest was coming from the right. Yeah. On that. No, the, the the government only took in uh, Ukrainians because it had no choice. It was it was EU policy at a Absolutely. Yes. Uh, it, it, if they had a if they had a choice, they wouldn't have done it. Mm. Um, so they had to because it was that in those initial weeks that was the that was the um, incredible um, you know kind of concessions that were made. You know. Because yeah. they didn't work kind of white people and not people coming from kind of. Our fellow Europeans. But yeah, just to maybe kind of finish up, what can we say? We can say that this is worth reading. I think it is good. Um, it, it, it does a very good job of, of looking at what conspiracy theories are and how they come and how they're weaponized. Yeah. I think it's, it's a much more satisfying uh, explanation of the kind of hyper-individualized, um, unmoored, kind of analysis-free world which taps into people's emotions and fears and the fact that it can be fact-free doesn't really matter mm. and that's what's so dangerous about them and we know we can all see how conspiracy theories are spreading and becoming and the so-called disinformation misinformation all those words mm. but ultimately you, you know post-covid people in the real world can see people they know or people they'd have heard of falling down rabbit holes and so Given that that concern, this book is, I think, nailing a lot of that very well. I think you're right. Her her conclusions about what what to do, how to counter it, are watered down and holding back because she's trying to reach a wider audience. I think that's a fair point. Mm. But I think one of the successes of the book is how it's it reads in a very it it builds ideas over time. She she introduces a a theory or an idea. For one use, like the doppelganger, the idea of the double, 
And then she does a pretty good, consistent job of re-entering it. So she brings back the double again to talk about our personal inconsistencies around, you know, you know, living in the West and having this kind of shadow world that of people who are making our clothes and, you know, our products and everything mm. else. So that there's this and, and the and the double of having a digital presence online that you feed this brand, this self-branding. And which is something that she kind of points out is a relatively new concept uh, that everyone would become this self-brand. So a lot of those elements she's mixing together quite well with a kind of useful theoretical framework. Um, I certainly got a lot out of it in terms of how my interpretation of what was going on here. But it is, it is very American focused. A lot of the, of the words, of the language, of the, of the theories are coming from the States at the moment anyway. You know, kind of like, you know, like when you listen to the far right yeah. in Ireland, like this, like, like this is where, it's not where they're getting their kind of motivation from, but, but it's where they're getting their expression of those ideas yeah. from. It's, and, it's, and it's obvious. And me. the culture war talking points yeah. of, you know, the anti-trans. Anti-trans uh, stuff, you know, and uh, those idiots uh, from Mayo, you know, so, you know. Um, no, that's not people from Mayo, that, that's the family, but I don't mean <laughs> it's from Mayo. Delete, delete. <laughs>